Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are joining us online or you're here in the room, really glad you're here. I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. And if you're new, we'd love it if you'd fill out our connection card, either the one in front of you or online at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. We just love to know that you are here any way that we can help you, serve you. Uh, we would love that. If you've been around for a while, you might be a little confused why I'm not wearing a Razorback shirt today. I mean, it's like this kind of like big wins require Razorback gear the next day. But when we're in a series, you know, we have shirts that go with the series. I'm wearing this every week. But I promise you, whether we're still in the series or not, uh, we beat uh, top 10 ranked uh, A&M. It'll be a red pants Sunday. So you can look forward to that. Look forward to that. Um, it's been a really tough week. I-, I would say probably more for my staff than anybody. Because anytime um, there's a news article where a pastor has made the news, um, I kind of start going on rants and we always have to have discussions. You may not know what I'm talking about, which is great. You don't have to Google anything if you don't want to, but I'm not going to tell you because it's frustrating, right? Because, you know, local pastors, and there's, well, there's a local story that came out about a week and a half ago, and then kind of a national one that came out last week of pastors. And, you know, pastors don't ever make the news for like, local pastor loves his wife well. A uh, local pastor is kind to kittens. I mean, these just, these just aren't the stories. It is usually something incredibly awful. And so then I, go, I get on rant mode, and then we just have, everybody, everybody has to have a conversation with me at some point where it's like, we got to make sure that we're clear on what this is and what they did. And, and we start talking about boundaries and stuff. And, I, and I, I start angry, but really it's more heartbreaking than anything Last week, if you were here, we were talking about the body of Christ and these things that happen. It's a little bit just kind of like a broken ankle, you know? It's like it's frustrating. You're angry at first, but really we're just all kind of hobbling. And when, 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 when Christians make the news for just poorly representing Christ, it does damage to all of us because then what comes out in social media and all these things are people like, see, see, I told you, people, this, this is why I don't go to church. I don't go to church because church is full of, yeah, see, we just, we, you don't know, I mean, it just, it just, it just, it just comes right out of the mouth, hypocrites. It just, it just, and it's just one more story where the perception is, is that we speak one set of values and we live another set of values. And, and we need to do better than that. It's one of the things that we put kind of in one of our core commitments in our, in our uh, membership covenant. I'm going to protect God's reputation. I'm going to live a life inside and outside the church that is honoring to God because I don't want, I don't want to be a story in someone's church is full of hypocrites. I don't want to be their story. I don't, I don't want to damage his reputation. I want to, I want to honor God. One of the best conversations I feel like I had this week is we're just kind of talking about this. It was Cass and I were our worship pastor. He and I were having lunch this week and he's like, you know, I mean, the thing that gets the headlines, right? That, I mean, the thing, the thing that he did, but you know, the, we, we failed a month earlier, three months earlier, a year earlier, three years earlier. Where were his people? Where were his people? The people that were in his life enough to ask the right questions and the people that he let into his life enough that he would answer those questions. And how are you doing? What's going on with you? You doing Okay. And asking kind of these challenging questions about, about his life. Like, it's, it's a, it's a, he says, I, I believe more than anything it is a failure of community. When we do not surround ourselves enough with the right type of people. 
And that really, if we are going to honor God well with our lives, and we've talked about this in the series before, I believe I mentioned it last week, like I've got this idea, like this is who God wants me to be and this is what I want my life to look like five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And there's all these off-ramps and one of the things that's gonna keep us individually in our individual walks with God and our families in our church and this kind of this joint mission that we have together, the thing that is going to keep us on that path is each other. And that's kind of why we're doing this series called Known. Like I need to be known. There need to be people who know me well that I will allow into my life to kind of encourage me and challenge me. We talked about this last week in the first part of Romans chapter 12, where Paul says, it's arrogance to think that you can do life alone. It's arrogance. He created us as individual pieces of a body and we only function well when we're together and we're connected to one another. And so he's going to continue on here and just kind of describing, we're going to look some more in Romans chapter 12 this week. We're going to be looking at some more next week, just kind of looking at as Paul is describing kind of the relationships that we're supposed to have one another. Like what are they supposed to look like and what are we hoping that they're going to accomplish? So we'll continue on here right where we left off. We finished verse eight last week. Start in verse nine this week. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, I don't know what that passage feels like to you. I just kind of go through those things. But to me, it just kind of feels like a random kind of laundry list of eight to ten things that were just kind of on Paul's mind. Hey, you know, uh, be hospitable. You know, don't be evil. Be sincere. Just kind of all of these kind of random things. Like So he's talking about just before he's talking about that we need each other in the body. And it kind of ends with use your gifts for serving. And with the passage we're going to look at next week, he's again, he's still talking about relationships. But in here, this just feels a little more random. And so I did just kind of a little bit more kind of next level Bible study of kind of this. And I discovered something really interesting, which is that first phrase in verse nine, love must be sincere. It, 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 it actually, it actually, doesn't have a, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't have a verb in it at all. There's no verb. It just is Paul, at the very beginning of verse nine, it says, sincere love. Like, what? Sincere love. And then he just goes and what feels like just kind of a bunch of just kind of one, like do this, do this, do this, do this, kind of, kind of all together. And so it's kind of like, What? And my, my encouragement to you, if you're ever reading the Bible on your own, studying the Bible on your own, and you come to a part where it's like, what? Don't feel bad. Don't feel that that's on you. Because I think very often these, these kind of what moments are put there on purpose to slow us down. So rather than saying, hey, it is really important for you when you're practicing love to be sincere, he just says, sincere love. And then he goes through these descriptors that if we took them out by themselves could mean any number of things. But what he's really doing here, it seems, is to describe for us what sincere love should look like. 
You know, some of the translations talk about, hey, let it be sincere. Let your love be genuine. Some say, let your love be without hypocrisy. If we are going to love each other genuinely, sincerely, without hypocrisy, if we are going to have this kind of life-changing, necessary love to kind of keep us being who we need to be, what does that need to look like? And so we got three ideas here. I think we kind of put this kind of, these, this kind of popcorning of thoughts that Paul has around what our love must look like. We got three things that I think that he is definitely trying to communicate to us about the type of love that we need to have. And the first one is that that sincere love, it makes both of you better. You go back to that verse nine, it says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate evil, cling to good. Like that's, that's kind of intense. It's an intense. And, like, and, and the words that are used there for hate and cling, it's like, it's like, hey, avoid evil and try to be good. It's like, hate it. Hate evil, cling to good. So sincere love has this idea of just like, when evil is there, you hate it. When love is there, when good things are there, you cling to it. And so a real love is going to make you better. A real love is like, I don't want, if I'm going to love you well, I'm going to have to deal with the evil that's in me. And if I love you well, I'm not going to tolerate the evil that I see in you. And somebody's like, whoa, 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 that, that's a little judgy. Like, that's something kind of like, if you're trying to convince me, which I'm guessing you are, probably it's going to end the way a lot of these things do, and you should join a small group, right? And you need to, you need to do these things, right? Like, like, you, like, are you saying that like what our small groups do is we have people point and say, hey, guess what? You're evil. Hey, guess what? Evil, right? Okay, not in a judgy way. But let me ask you this question rhetorically. If I love you, and there's evil there in your heart, in your life. If you have some sort of self-destructive behavior or a behavior that is wrecking your family, do I love you if I don't say anything? Or do I show that I love you by saying, hey, what about this? Because these stories that come out that are bringing down churches, denominations, individual pastors, we look at the headlines and we say, there's a lot of evil there. What if it could have been identified a year earlier before the evil really took root? And we had such an abhorrence for things that were destructive, things that were harmful to other people that even a hint of it was like, hey, What's going on here with you? Again, not out of a judgmental heart, not out of an angry heart, but out of one that says, I want the best for you. I sincerely love you. I don't want my love to be hypocritical. I don't want to have a buddy relationship with you where we kind of have this bro code that's like, you know that I'm a jerk and I know you're a jerk and I won't ask you questions if you won't ask me questions and we'll just pretend everything's okay. We're gonna pretend like everything's fine when it's not. That's something, but it's not genuine love. It's not a sincere love. 
And if, and if we're going to love each other well, we, we need to be making each other better. And you know, the person who does this most in my life, and this is going to sound like I'm doing a bit. I'm not doing a bit. I don't mean to have any comedic timing here with anything that I'm saying. The person who does this the most in my life is my wife. And, and you know why? Because she knows me the best. And she loves me the most sincerely. Hey, not that. Why, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Not in some sort of nagging way, not in some sort of, you know, always in conflict sort of way, but in a way that says, I love you, not that. If you're going to love me, you can't do that. We need to have, and, and we need to be honest with one another, and we need to help each other be better. My best friends are the ones that will not tolerate such things in my life. And if you were here last week, I talked about my friend Stuart. If you weren't, I'll just catch up a little bit. I'd been married about a year, really, really struggling, really struggling in my personal life, in my job, in my, in my, with, with my new wife. I was, I was doing terrible. And he was in my small group, and I just asked him if he could have lunch with me, if he could help me. And he just agreed. He's like, hey, let's just have lunch every week and just kind of ask each other good questions. And we ended up having lunch every week for, the, like for, six, for four or five years. Every, every, every week to just kind of encourage each other. And we would talk about our marriage. We'd talk about individual sin struggles that we would have. And there was this tradition that seemed to happen there for a while. Be a Thursday, I'd come home from that lunch and my wife, Heidi, would be like, so what'd you and Stuart talk about today? And I'd be like, hmm Next week. Oh, you have lunch with Stuart today? What'd you talk about? I, 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 you know, I, uh. Then after a few weeks of this, he was like, you know, Leanne, that's his wife. Leanne and I were talking the other day. I'm like, mm, this isn't good. And we know you and Stuart are talking about us. This is not going well. But we talked a little bit about it. And I've decided that it's Okay. Because you are a better man when you spend time with him. Do you have people like that in your life? Not just simply that I have common interests with, that I enjoy being around, we do this hobby together, we have the same sense of humor. I have have lots of friends like that too, and they're great. But do I have somebody Do I have somebody that when I'm with them after that time, I'm I'm better? Their their presence, their questions, their challenge, their heart, we are just making each other better. That's what sincere love looks like. Sincere love makes us both better. All right, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And then he goes, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, if I were to take those two verses out, 10 and 11, put them in a little cross stitch or a little cute little poster or something, a little thing, put it on my desk, right? I mean, those, they have like a real challenging kind of feel to them. You know, be devoted, honor, zeal, fervor. I mean, they kind of have this kind of like, you just got to 
do it. Just hang in there. Push through no matter what. Be strong, right? And that is what it's saying. But by itself, it just kind of be like, again, it's like an inspirational thing that I, that I put on my desk. But in the context of relationships, in the context of the love that we're to, put, we're to have to one another, devotion, honor, zeal, fervor, Sincere love is going to make both of you better, but it's also, I mean, sincere love requires a level of commitment, a, a, a real level of commitment that says, no, no matter what, I'm in. Because very often, you know, we give a little message here, it's like, hey, as a church, we need to do a better job of loving each other. We need to, we need to do a good job of kind of being the body of Christ to one another, and there's a thing that comes, and I'm not saying anything negative about this. This is an overwhelmingly positive thing. We think, man, if there was somebody in the church where there's a death in the family, I would totally be a part. I would, get, I would, I would do the meal train. I would, I would send flowers. I would want to be there for that family. Hey, there, there's an illness. There's a financial crisis. There's something. I, want, I will give my money and my time, and I will come, and I will kind of come in and help meet this need, which is a huge thing that... The church, when it, is, when it is operating well, does, does great at. And we need to keep doing things like that. But what does it mean to have fervor, to honor, to be devoted in a friendship? It is when the crisis has passed, when the, 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 the challenge has been overcome, the funeral is over and we've run out of all of the food. Who is the one that is still there? That is there no matter what. And I talk to people like this, about, about this, like, you know, there'll be a funeral. And there's a lot of attention, a lot of things that happen to kind of help the family that's grieving. And then someone who's really good friends with the family very often will come to me and is like, I feel like there's something more that I need to do and I don't know what to do. And the thing that I say, and this is one of the, 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 the handful of things that I feel like was actually some really, really good advice, some really good practical advice that I got in seminary. Like mark on your calendar the next Father's Day, their anniversary, his birthday, her birthday, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and just put these little notes to say that you're just going to call or send a text or find some way to just kind of encourage me. I'm thinking about you today. A year from now, two years from now, three years from now, everybody else has already forgotten. We grieve during that two weeks. They're going to grieve forever. And we step in with fervor, with zeal, with a commitment that says, no matter what happens, no matter what is going on with you, I am going to be here. We're not in and out. We're not just simply crisis managers. But the relationships that we have, have have a significant amount of depth to them. Now, I don't know how many of you guys were around um, in church, going to church in like the early 2000s. But there was like late 90s, early 2000s. There was a thing, if you wanted to be a cool pastor, a uh, cool church, was movie clips. You're always showing movie clips. Who remembers movie clip church? Anybody? Yeah. That was like, I peaked. I peaked. My apex 
My apex of preaching was movie clips because I'm a big movie guy. I love movie clips. I got a movie clip for everything. That was me. That was me at my peak. I've, I, can only, I can only go down from there. Anyway, so if this were 2002, we would be watching a clip from the movie Tombstone. I assume it's about wider. And, and, um, and uh, Val Kilmer is Doc Holliday. If I were in charge of the Oscars, he'd gotten two. One for Best Supporting Actor and a Lifetime Achievement Award. Just for that, him and Zach was great. So there's this, there's this part where he, um, he's been deputized with Wyatt Earp and it's him and a couple other guys and they're in this, and they're in this battle. And Doc, he's got tuberculosis. And so he's just like coughing up blood. He's insanely sick. He should be in bed. But here he is just kind of out there in the wilderness fighting bad guys. And at one point, you know, they're kind of pinned down. He's just coughing and it's, it's awful. And this one guy looks at him and says, Doc, what are you doing out here? You should be in bed. And looks at him and says, Wide Earp is my friend. That was a little more Forrest Gump than Doc Holliday. <laughs> and he says, man, I got lots of friends. And Doc Holliday looks back at him and says, I don't. And the thing is, probably in the same way that this guy meant, I've got lots of friends, Doc Holliday, he did. He had lots of friends. He had lots of people that he could gamble with, that he could drink with, people that he kind of had these kind of surface level hobby, do fun things together. Friends. He said, I'm not talking, I've, I've got a friend. And my friend, he needs me. And I will be there for him. These are the relationships that we need. And this is what Paul, Paul goes on. He continues. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So sincere love is going to make you better. I'm not going to tolerate the evil in your life. You're not going to tolerate it in mine. It requires commitment. It is a, it is a long term thing. And, and, and it does not fail. It doesn't fail. It does not matter what the season is. And Paul describes so many here. When it's time to be joyful, let's be joyful together. When there is affliction, let's be patient together. When we need prayer, let's be faithful in our prayer together. When they're in need, we share. When they need encouragement, be hospitable. Bring them over to your house. It does not matter what the circumstances are. It does not matter what is going on in your life. The relationship will not fail. Ups, downs, ins, outs, whatever the circumstances are, the friendship, the love will remain sincere. An insincere love, it tolerates evil. An insincere love is short-term. An insincere love is like, well, when things are difficult, when things get a little difficult, things get a little tricky, like I, 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 I can't. Real, like real sincere love has this, no matter what, we're in this together. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking again about Cass, our worship pastor, who is one of the few people who has kind of been around from the very beginning, from the time that our family moved here about 12 years ago. He was on the elder board 12 and a half years ago when, um, when we interviewed here. 
And over the course of the last 12 and a half years, I mean, we, we have walked through a lot. I, I think about like even just at the very beginning, our first kind of interesting, because there were some moments in the interview process that I would just say that they were just, they were just wild. One of my favorites, I got a couple here. One of my favorites was this other guy. He's not, he's not around anymore. He's moved on. It, he, he's like, we're sitting there like, this is like a job. This is a job interview to be a pastor. He's like, hey, check out this app. And he pulls up this app that apparently is, is a, is a, it's a, it's a, it's a beer bottle. And he's like, what? And he goes, and then it fakes open, and it's coming from the thing in his mouth. And I'm like, okay, well, this, I guess that's what we are. That, that's cool. And, um, and, and then there was this other moment, like, it's this pretty, I guess, I guess like it's going to be like one of the final interviews. And, and they brought Heidi in, my wife. So they, they brought her in to ask her a few questions, which is a really good thing. It's a really, it's a really good thing to do, right? You ask, ask, ask these kinds of questions. And so they're talking to her, making sure she's on board with this idea of moving up here, being on staff. It was all good questions. And, they, and you could tell, and they had one more question, and things just got really, really awkward. It's like, well, we kind of have one, we we, there's, there's one um, other thing. Um, and so it just got really awkward and tense. And, and, and my wife, Heidi, who did this only, only, I don't know many people who, would, who could do this. She just kind of looks at them all and goes, are you trying to ask about our sex life? And then just, and then just, and, 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 a, and a hush came over the crowd in that one, that was in fact what they were trying to do. And two, they can't believe that that just happened. And I'm not going to finish that story because the thing that she said, it was definitely, it was a walkout moment. She said something next and, and all but dropped the mic and just walked out of the room, was taking no more questions. I was like, and, and it was, it was incredible. Um, but it's like, it was, it was some awkward moments there at the beginning. And for those of you guys uh, that were around, I mean, it was a completely different type of church going a completely different direction. And we had a lot of ups and downs, Cass and I. We've been through a lot. We've been through a lot together. We've seen just a lot of changes. We saw some initial just really rapid growth in the church. We've seen a lot of turnover. We've seen people that we thought were going to kind of be with us in the long term leave for a lot of different reasons. We've been through a lot of life transition ourselves. I came here, I was two kids, 12 and 9. I have three kids, 24, 21, and 10. His kids, I think, were like 1, 3, and 5. Now he's experiencing, about to experience what we've experienced, the idea of, of launching one out to college. We've been through just a lot of personal stuff. Like, I've, I've been depressed, he's been depressed, feeling anxiety, just kind of learning what it means to kind of get personally and valuing kind of mental and emotional health. And, and, and we've, we have fought, we have, we have said hurtful things to one another, but for 12 years, a real, sincere, deep, powerful friendship, one that says, I am here with you, whatever it takes. Whatever, is, whatever the situation is, we'll celebrate together, we'll fight together, we'll cry together, we'll be confused together, we'll say the things that other people won't say. A sincere, genuine friendship. And you may be thinking, man, I mean, that's what you're describing. You've, descri you've described two friendships in your life. One, you've said, is 27 years old. And another one is 12 years old. 
And you have these deep, long-term friendships with a few guys. And there's two or three other guys I could also talk about. For that, I've been with friends with seven or eight years. I've been friends with a guy 10 years. And we have these sorts of relationships. And you're sitting here, maybe you're new. It's like, I don't even know anybody in the room. I've been around a few months and maybe I've had a couple of conversations. Or maybe I've been around here a while, but I'm just kind of like, how do I go from where I am to that sort of friendship? And then it'll happen overnight. The real, sincere, deep friendships, they take time. But what has to happen, if you think from wherever it is you are to where that could be, wherever it is you are, you've got to take that next risky step, whatever it is. Maybe it is kind of stepping into a small group for the first time. Or maybe it's taking somebody that you kind of have a a fairly shallow relationship with and saying, what would it look like maybe if we started helping each other? Man, I I feel like I I really admire you and I value our friendship, but I really feel like we could, and and then say something like, I'm struggling with something. Maybe take a risk of transparency, a risk of kind of taking a friendship to another level kind of stepping out and starting some relationships if you feel completely and totally isolated. But what is going to happen is in order for you to get from where you are to where you've got relationships where you can feel safely, you can feel safe, but fully known with a genuine, sincere relationship that is helping you get better. Only way that you are going to get there is by a series of calculated risks. And our encouragement to you is to take those risks. And I make the same mirrored encouragement to you as well. When someone takes that risk with you, let's love and respond well. The You Belong mural outside our church, it means something. And it means that when we finally learn from one another what is really going on in the deepest and darkest places in one another's heart, it does not matter who you were, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you can find the hope and love of Jesus Christ here. And I will step into love with you without hypocrisy. I wanna help you get better. I'll be with you no matter what. And my commitment and my love to you, it it, it won't fail. So I encourage you, take those risks, take those steps. Because even though there's this part of us that is afraid, we, we know that we need these sorts of relationships. But a little bit I'm scared because I'm scared that if someone really knew me, if I was really known, I would be rejected. But this is a place where we are going to love each other well. And we are going to be a place where we can encourage each other to be better. And we're gonna keep each other, we're gonna be the guardrails for one another, keep us all individually and collectively on the path to become the men and women in church that God has called us to be. And that begins with each one of us taking the risks and the steps to be truly known. Let's pray. God, I'm just sitting there, I'm just mindful of your son 
and the gospel. And God, how Jesus, how, how he knew us and he saw the worst in us and took it on himself and sacrificed himself so that we might have life with you forever. And God, I pray that we would strive for that kind of love. Where we see each other, we know each other, we are known, and then we love and sacrifice for one another to help each other be better, to help each other be closer to you, to rid ourselves of the sin and destruction and despair and anxiety that's in our lives. God, that we would give up all the barriers that we put, all the fear that we have, and would take risky steps towards one another to know and to be fully known. And so God, give us courage to both take those steps and to love well when someone takes that step toward us. And it is in your son's name that we pray, amen.